Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Those of you who were here on Easter will remember the story that is just before this one uh, that was read today, the gospel that was read today in John's gospel, where Mary Magdalene, before uh, the sun had come up, had gone down to the garden and found the tomb empty. And then as the sun was rising, uh, she recognized Jesus by the word that he spoke to her, which was her name on his lips. Well, we take up in today's gospel reading um, the same day, the exact same day, just several hours later. Now, at this point in time, the sun is going down. So um, the disciples have had all day in uh, John's gospel, Mary Magdalene had gone and told the disciples, I've seen the Lord. Um, In other accounts, the other women have gone and told the disciples, we have seen the Lord, he is risen. And uh, the response is, they think it's an idle tale. They don't believe the witness of the women. And so here they are that evening, over eight hours later, behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. They are fearful. And Jesus appears to them. Um, there are only ten there, however. Uh, of course, Judas is dead, and Thomas is not with them. So the tem- ten of them encounter Jesus, who arrives, who just is there in their midst. And the first thing that he says to them is, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. Well, when Thomas arrives later, they say, just as the women had told them, we've seen the Lord, and he says, well, yes, but I'm not going to believe that until I can put my finger in the wounds in his hands and my hand in the wound in his side. And a whole week goes by. So the women have seen the risen Lord, The disciples, uh, ten of them at least, have seen the risen Lord. And a week later, they're back in the upper room, still behind locked doors. Fearful, but this time Thomas is with them. And Jesus again appears in their midst and says to Thomas, Feel me. I'm, I'm flesh and blood. You can put your hand, your finger in the wounds in my hand and your hand in the wound in my side. There's a wonderful article in the uh, Wall Street Journal, actually, this last week by a man called George Weigel. And he wrote this about this. He said, one of the most striking things about the New Testament accounts of Easter and what followed in the days immediately after Easter is that the gospel writers and editors carefully preserved the memory of the first Christian's bafflement, skepticism, and even fright 
about what had happened to their former teacher and what was happening to them. 2,000 years on, we can tend to look at them and say, what rubes, why didn't they get it? But we've had 2,000 years to live with the reality of a risen Lord. This was completely new to them. And I think there's something assuring, reassuring, about the fact that they've included this in the gospel narrative that they didn't immediately get it. Do we immediately get it on this faith journey? I didn't. I struggled with it for a while. What is this Christianity? And so there's, there's a certain amount of comfort here in, in knowing that the disciples had been with him for three years. He told them, I'll die, and on the third day, I'll rise again. But the thing is, is that they had absolutely no frame of reference whatsoever for what that looked like. What does resurrection look like? See, we have to be very careful with our terminology here. The term resurrection can only be used to describe what happened to Jesus on that first Easter morning. It's never happened since. It had never happened beforehand. Now, some people tend to kind of slide into incorrect terminology when talking about what happened to Lazarus and what happened to the 12-year-old daughter of the synagogue leader. Words such as Lazarus rose again are used or she was raised to life. But those are incorrect terms When referring to what happened to Lazarus, what happened to the little girl, what happened to others in the Acts who were brought back to life. See, that's the terminology because they were brought back to the same kind of life that they had before they died. They did die. They were truly dead. But they didn't rise again to a new form of life. They came back into the life that they had lived. They would die again. In fact, they all did. Resurrection, a risen Lord, rising from the dead, is very different. It had never happened before It will happen again because that's the promise. The promise is that Jesus is the first fruits of resurrected life. But that happens to those who have been baptized into his death and resurrection when he returns. 
at the end of the age, when we hear in Revelation there will be a new heaven and a new earth, we will be raised like Christ. We will be resurrected. We will have resurrection bodies. But that will only happen at the end of the age. From from the time of Jesus' resurrection to the end of the age, there has been and will be only one resurrection. Now, don't get me wrong. That's not to say that when we die, we're not with the Lord. We are. He says to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. And we know through the other scriptures that when we die, we're with the Lord How that is, we're not told. But we know that we are. We are with the Lord. He receives us. And we see him face to face, as yet we just see him as in a mirror dimly. Then we will see him face to face. But there's a further promise, you see. And that further promise is that we rise in bodily resurrected form. And what does that look like? Well, they're taken aback, right? Because, you know, they've heard of ghostly stories of ghosts coming, kind of appearing through door, locked doors or through walls or this, that or the other. But Jesus clearly says, I'm not a ghost. And he eats with them. They can touch him. So this is a corporeal being a fleshly body being, but not constrained by time or space, dimensions, a very different kind of a body. But they just don't get it immediately. And he stays with them for 40 days before he ascends to the Father, because he needs that time to tell them, see, resurrection, what I promised. You couldn't figure it out before you've seen it, but now you've seen it, what I've told you before, now make sense of it, because... I've been raised. I've passed through death onto the other side. And think about this then. If God became incarnate, flesh and blood, human, in his humanity and yet still divine, died on a cross, died, was dead for three days, raised in bodily form, Not to the old life, but to a new life. When he ascended, he ascended to the Father, to the Godhead, in that body. In the resurrected body. So here's the amazing thing. Is is that he's taken our humanity, our humanness, that is now resurrected into the Godhead. And so when we hear that he sits at God's right hand as an interceding for us, 
Amazing. Because he knows our human condition. He's with God in that humanity that is now no longer exactly as it was when he was walking the dusty streets of Galilee. And yet it is in some way the same and yet different because it's passed through death and it's resurrected. I mean, this is huge, right? We're, we're so used to talking about risen Lord, he's resurrected, hallelujah, that we forget how absolutely amazing that is. How miraculous that is. It had never happened before. Nobody had any frame of reference for it. And that makes all the difference. When asked why Christianity spread from this backwater Palestinian place by a bunch of nobodies, historical sociologists will say this. That Christianity modeled a nobler way of life than what was on offer elsewhere in the rather brutal society of the day. In Christianity, women were respected as they weren't in classical culture and played a critical role in bringing men to the faith and attracting converts. In an age of plagues, the readiness of Christians to care for all the sick, not just their own, was a factor, as was the Impressive witness to faith of countless martyrs. But it still begs the question, why? Why did they act that way? Why did they model that kind of life? Again, in the words of the author of this article in the Wall Street Journal, I'll put a link to it on the uh, e-news because it's a fantastic article. He says this, What happened to them was the Easter effect. There is no accounting for the rise of Christianity without weighing the revolutionary effect on those nobodies of what they called the resurrection. The resurrection was their encounter with the one whom they embraced as the risen Lord, whom they first knew as the itinerant Jewish rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, and who died an agonizing and shameful death on a Roman cross outside Jerusalem. Bishop Tom Wright put it this way, the first Christians became convinced that Jesus of Nazareth was raised bodily to a new sort of life three days after his execution, even though those first Christians, like Christians today, cannot fully comprehend resurrected life, the life depicted in the Gospels of a trans-physical body that can eat, drink, and be touched, but that also appears and disappears unbothered by obstacles like doors and distance. And as Pope Benedict XVI has said, there had been an evolutionary leap in the human condition. There had been an evolutionary leap in the human condition. Overnight, these bodies in Jesus 
had passed into a completely different kind of humanity, a different kind of body, one that would never die, one that did not suffer, one that did not become diseased. And that's the promise to each of us. Maranatha, Lord, come, Lord Jesus, was the cry of the early church. Come, return, Lord, so that what we see in the resurrected Jesus, what has been promised to each of us, will come about. And what began in confusion, skepticism, fear, and incomprehension became the irreducible bottom line of faith. So that Paul, writing to the Corinthians, would say, because they were beginning to wonder about it, he would say, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. A resurrected Lord is the absolute rock-bottom foundation of faith. And it was this event that the early Christians could not keep to themselves. They had to share it. We've seen the Lord. And he is risen from the dead, not a resuscitated body, not one that will die, a new kind of body. As we hear in the Acts, with great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord. And John writes, we declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed and we have seen it and testify to it and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. See, it was only afterwards that these Christians began to figure out what that reality meant. Since this, then that. Because of this, wow, then we understand that. You see, Good Friday only makes sense on Easter morning. Good Friday only makes sense at the empty tomb. See, this this is the tomb, the stone rolled away, and just light pouring forth from the empty tomb. If Jesus is raised to a new bodily life, then all that he promised that he was doing on the cross has actually been done. And then you've got to come up with new language, right? Because it's never happened before. How do you explain this? How do you explain these things? Atoning sacrifice. So they came up with new language in the Greek. They kind of tried to use old language, but but imbued it with a different meaning. Because this had never happened before. How do we explain it in language? And then, and then in Latin, and then we come to Tyndale in English, what word do I use? And so he coins this term, atonement. 
atoning sacrifice. That's the first time that it comes into the English language. If there's something completely different, you've got to find completely different language to try and explain it, although it still remains a mystery. But all of what happened, all of Jesus' teaching, all of what he promised, all of what happened on the cross only makes sense on Easter morning with a resurrected, risen Lord who will never die. Such was this Easter effect that these Christians lived with unrestrained joy and peace, the true shalom of God. Peace I give to you, the Lord says, as he in his resurrected body appears to the disciples. And it's peace he gives to us and joy because death has been overcome in a way nobody could ever fathom. And such was the change that the Easter effect made in their lives that they could not not share it. They had to go out and share it with everybody they encountered. So what is the Easter effect on us? What is this different resurrected life? What is that effect on us? Are we a people of joy Convinced something inexplicable and yet true has happened. Something that gives new meaning to life and that has eradicated the fear of death. Something that will change us and change the world. Something that we have to share. John said, I write these things. There were many more things that Jesus did before he ascended. But I write these things so that you will believe and in believing have eternal life. And Jesus says to Thomas, you've believed because you've seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That blessing falls on all of you. Jesus' blessing all of those years ago in the upper room. Blessed are you because you have not seen and yet you believe. Amen.